there's a, a phrase I haven't used in many, many years, I guess since I was a child. I haven't heard it, uh, I don't think, since I was a child. It's something that probably children uh, are known to say. But before I, I tell you that, that phrase, which probably you've said it as well, or had someone say it to you, uh, let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, I was 10 years old uh, at the time, and one of my peers, I, I remember exactly where I was. I was in a schoolyard, and, and one of my friends gave me this information that was re revolutionary uh, to, to my 10-year-old mind. And uh, maybe because I was gullible, maybe because he was convincing and sincere, but I truly believed the report that he shared with me. And, and, and here it is, that, that a man had a baby. A man had a baby. And I couldn't wait to share this information that I got uh, with, with, with anyone who would listen to me. And, and I went home, because I lived right around the corner from the schoolyard, and uh, uh, I shared, but there was my sister there. My, now, my sister Marie and I, we had a love-hate relationship. Uh, I was her bratty 10-year-old brother, so she was 20 when I was 10. And uh, so I couldn't wait to share that information with Marie. And I said, Marie, I, one of my friends just told me that a, a man actually had a baby. I never forget what she said to me. She said, don't be an idiot. <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. And, and I said, don't be such a know-it-all. It really happened. And, and, and then she said, don't be an idiot. It's not possible. So I said, no, I'm telling you, he was sincere. I believe it. It happened. It happened in Australia. M maybe it takes a little longer for the news to spread. I don't know. Uh, but I, I tell you what, th this is the phrase that I said to her, don't be such a know-it-all. And, and once again, she said, don't be, don't be such an idiot. But, but I had such a great comeback, you know. And, and, and this is what I said to her. I said, don't be such a know-it-all because nobody likes a know-it-all. While it wasn't true that a man had a baby, it is true that no one likes a know-it-all. Isn't that true? We're, we're kind of repelled by people who think they have all the answers, they, they know it all, that they're kind of conceited or arrogant. Uh, my wife and I sometimes watch the show Chopped. If you've ever seen it, it's a cooking competition. I, I never root for the, for the one who is conceited and full of themselves and arrogant. You know, we're repelled by that. But, but the opposite is also true. We are attracted to, to humility, uh, to kindness, to, to, to contriteness. Uh, there's something virtuous uh, about that. But, but he, 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 here's the truth. While, while none of us know it all, and maybe some of us uh, are humble, uh, my mother told me I should be proud of my humility. Uh, that's a joke. Uh, there is one person who, is, who, is at, who knows everything, who, who is a know-it-all, but who is incredibly humble. And, and, and that's, that, that's our God, and that's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who said, learn of me for I am humble of heart. Come unto me. But he knows it all. I mean, th there is nothing. You, do, do you realize that there is nothing new for God to learn because, because there is nothing that he doesn't already know? That he knows all things from the end to the beginning and, and everything that's in between? That, that, that there is absolutely nothing that God does? I mean, he'll, he'll, you'll, you'll never hear... 
him say to one of the angels, oh, I didn't know that. You, you know, he's never surprised. He, he's never unaware. He, he knows everything instantly and all the time. He's called the Ancient of Days, and yet do you know that he doesn't age one single day? That he is ever the same? And the child in us, we, 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 we want to try to figure this out. We want to say, yeah, but, but, but God, when did you begin? Where did you come from? And the answer is, he always was, and he always will be. And that, that, that short circuits, you know, talk about short circuiting electricity, that short circuits our brain, because we can't wrap our mind around such amazing information. The universe is held together by the power of his word. That there was a, a moment, if I could call it a moment in time, when there was just God, and when God said, let there be light, and then the universe, as we know it, came into being by the power of his word. Talk about, talk about his, his omnipotence and his omniscience. He's all-knowing and he's all-powerful. By faith, we understand that God created all things, time and space, but that God dwells outside of both time and space, and he's not limited by either time or space. That is, that he could suspend the the, the physics or the principles of the universe whenever he wants to because he's not subject to it. L -l -l Listen to how God speaks of himself in Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. There, he alone is God. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come, the prediction of the future. Because the future and the past are all the same to God. I say, my purpose will stand. I will do all I please. In those few, sorry, few short verses, what we have is the omniscience of God, his all-knowing, his supremacy over all things, and his sovereignty, that God works all things according to his plan and purpose. I love Psalm 147. It says, he determines the number of stars and he calls them each by name. The number of stars. Do you, do you realize how many stars are in the universe? In the Milky Way, our galaxy takes 100,000 light years, I believe it is, 100,000 light years to travel from one end of the Milky Way to the other, which is really far. And there are, there are untold galaxies with trillions and trillions of stars. In fact, scientists believe that there are more stars in the universe than there are sand, grains of sand on all the beaches on planet Earth. Probably throw in the deserts there as well. Next time you, next time you go to the, to the beach, grab a handful of sand and just let, let it just, you know, cascade down from your hand, and all the remaining fragments that would be left in your hand because of your sweat. You couldn't number how many would be remaining in your hand, but God has numbered them all, and he knows them by name. And one of my pet peeves is, is with this thing called Star Registry. You ever hear it advertised on, on radio? You know, name a star after somebody that you love, and for a certain fee, they will map out in the heavens a star, and they will name it after your loved one. What audacity is that? When, when the Scripture says God has called them each by name, 
He alone has done that. And, and you know what? That understanding is beyond measure. But I want you to imagine with me for a minute, right? This is just by way of illustration. Because I said God dwells outside of time and space. He created it, so he's greater than his creation. I want you to imagine my, my, my two hands here. And all of, the, all of the stuff, the air, the molecules, or whatever, are, represents all time and space. From the moment God said, let there be light in Genesis chapter 1 until, until what we would call the end of time as we know it. And God who dwells outside of time and space sees it all, knows it all. The end and the beginning are all the same to God. How great. And how awesome is this one with whom we have to do? The end and, and, and the beginning are all the same to him. And that means his counsel will stand. He will do all of his pleasure. Now, follow with me. Since there is nothing new for God to learn and there is, there, there is nothing for him to discover because he knows it all already, he even knows what it's like before Jesus Christ became an infant and and and, a, and a, the, truly the God-man, God knew what it would be like to, to experience pain, to experience suffering, to, to experience joy in, in the experience of a human being. He, he knew us before he created us. In fact, the psalmist says, says that he knows our frame and he remembers that we are but dust, meaning that he knows and understands the the, the very intricacies of the, the human experience and, and our mind and our, the way that we think. And in fact, the psalmist says he, he knows our thoughts before we think them. How, how awesome is that? And, and, and we're not just talking about between me and God. We're talking about between me and every living human being. God knows the thoughts of our hearts and the intents of our hearts. So this leads us really to, 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 to the problem. And the problem is that of knowing. By the way, the title of my message today is Knowing, and that's very important. The problem, because of the fall and the consequences of the fall, is that, n number one, we're not humble, and number two, we don't know it all. But the desire to know it all, to know the knowledge of good and evil, had, had, had plunged man into these dire circumstances, and that is, that he, he was not only plunged into darkness, but the darkness literally, Paul says, entered into the soul of the human race. That our understanding became darkened. We, we sang a song a little while ago, How I Adore You. Jesus, how we love. Do you realize that it is a miracle that he overcame the hostility and the enmity of our heart so that we would fall in love with him, that that is an incredible miracle on the level of creation. It's as if, it's as if a malicious malware was, was, has, has corrupted the, the heart the, the, like, a, like it would a computer, and, and everything is corrupt as a result. That's what's, what happened to the human heart. A malicious virus called sin entered into the human race distorted our perception, distorted our, our way of thinking. We, 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 we became foolish and darkened in our understanding. Adam and Eve's act of rebellion plunged man into the state of emotional, mental, physical darkness. Fear, doubt, and unbelief now alienated us from this 
humble and gracious, all-knowing creator. But in spite of that, in spite of our disloyalty, but by the way, the temptation did not originate with God. God did not tempt man. And the fall, God, God understood that it was going to happen because like I said, he knows all things. But it was a test. And the test was that of loyalty. And in spite of our disloyalty, God made a purpose and a plan. And that plan was to rescue the human race. To deliver the human race from the spiritual and mental darkness and bring us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And He, he did that. He pierced the darkness. And, and I, wa- I want to show you how He did that. Because man's understanding had become so twisted by the little g, the God of this world, lest they should believe the gospel and be saved. And so God's plan of action to rescue us from Satan's power. We, I don't know if you know this, but we literally have been translated, the Bible says, abducted, kidnapped out of one kingdom and placed into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. God rescued us. That's, that's how awesome God is. But look at this verse with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. Here it is. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. Paul goes to Genesis chapter 1 and and the verse where it says, let there be light and light came into being. So here's the comparison. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, who is the very image of God, who is the very fullness of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, the light, the understanding. The eye, the, our blind eyes were opened to see the majesty and the beauty of Jesus. And it bypassed our minds and, and, and entered into our heart as God commanded light to shine into the darkness of our hearts. This same God who said, let there be light. And what I want you to know is that this this faith-based relationship now that we have with God, based upon grace through faith and not, not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, that light imparts life. The entrance of his word gives life. The scripture says of Jesus, he was the light and the life of men. I said before, the, the problem is in knowing, but it's not on God's part. We own that, and, and that because of the fall and the consequences of the fall. But understand this, that the Son of God, it was not necessary for him to become a human being in order to know human experience, because there's nothing new that he could possibly learn. The Son of God didn't become flesh and blood to leave us an example. The Son of God didn't become flesh and blood to show us how to live. There's one reason why the Son of God became flesh and blood, and that was to die the death that we deserve, to bear the consequences and the penalty that belongs to us. Instead, he took it upon himself. Man, the Son of Man, yet without sin. You know, the universe can be measured in distance, I would imagine. Some have speculation as to how 
The universe is, is exp- but no one can measure this love that God has for us. So here's, here's a question and something that certainly my wife and I have grappled with over the last few days, and even more than the last few days. But, but, but how, how many of you have had maybe a child who was sick or a spouse who was sick or even a sibling that was sick, suffering maybe, maybe emotionally? Maybe, maybe physically, maybe some illness. And, and haven't, haven't you, I mean, I, I, I know that some of you have lost children. I know that you would, you would have thought this thought, I would gladly trade places. I mean, it's a no-brainer. I, I would take that pain from my child or my spouse if, if, if only I could, if only. And while the thought of it, of trading places, is a noble thought, we can't do it, can we? But God, who is both willing and able, has traded places, has taken what we deserve upon himself. The Son of God suffered for us and as us. He endured all that we deserve so that we could be set free. This is, this is incredible news. This is, this is greater news than a man having a baby in Australia. This is... This is God doing for us what we could have never even imagined. The mind of angels, as, as wonderful as that might be, they could not have imagined. They stooped with curiosity to, to look at this thing called salvation. Now, some may think of us as idiots for believing the improbable, the impossible, that the Son of God would trade places with us, that he would endure hell for us. Well, Some people think that we're idiots for devoting our lives for the sake of a God that we've never seen, an invisible God, a God who was, we believe, crucified on a cross. Well, we might be, and then we might not. You see, the knowledge that we have is, we're not know-it-alls, but we know what is most important, and that is that God sent his son, that whoever would Believe upon him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This is a great quote from John Stott, who's an English uh, pastor and theologian. He says, the concept of substitution may be said then to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. The heart or the essence. He said, for the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. While the essence of salvation... Just the opposite is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. But God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be, the cross. Man claims prerogatives which belong to God alone, the right to do whatever he wants to do. But God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. This is too amazing, but it is true. For Adam, the promise to be like God, knowing good and evil, was the lie that introduced and opened the door to such unbelievable suffering and consequences. Adam was a miserable substitute for God, but Jesus Jesus is a remarkable substitute for man. Trading places 
is the essence of the gospel. I mean, if you, if you want to explain the gospel to someone in just two words, it's trading places. It's God taking our place. But if that is the essence of the gospel, and the gospel, by the way, you, you know that there are other books after the, gospel, the four gospels because, because the other writings of the New Testament are the elaboration of what it means for us to be in Christ, to be heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. So, so, so what is then the essence of eternal life? Because ultimately that is our destiny. What is the, the essence of eternal life? Is it forgiveness? No, it's not. As wonderful as forgiveness is, as wonderful as, as it is that God says, I will separate your sins as far as the east is from the west, and I will remember your sins no more. As, as marvelous as that is, as marvelous as it is that there is now, therefore, no condemnation, not now, not ever, for anyone who is in Christ, as wonderful as that is, that is not the essence of eternal life. How about adoption? Adoption into the treasured family of God. I mean, the privilege of being an heir of God. But, but that's not eternal life, the essence of it either. Justification through faith, in Christ alone, through grace alone. No, there's something else. There's something more that God has in store for us. And while each of these gifts are glorious and, and it causes us to sing songs like, How I Adore You. When we, when we consider our great God and Savior, we, we praise Him and we adore Him for all that He's done for us. But it has to do with the title of my message, which is knowing. In the opening verses of what truly is the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17. Hours before Jesus is arrested, before he sweat great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, maybe to remind us that it was in a garden where this tragedy first took place. Jesus prayed, this prayer, and he gives us the definition of what eternity is. So let me, let me share that with you. Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you as you have given him authority over all people that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given to him meaning that Jesus Christ is the author of eternal life. And this, the definition Jesus gives us, is eternal life. This is the essence that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The only God that there is to be worshipped is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not Allah. It is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's to believe and trust in Jesus, whom God has sent. Knowing this is the essence of eternal life. Forgiveness, no condemnation, adoption, justification, all these things make it possible so that we will come to know God. But the ultimate, the, the, the consummation of this relationship is to, is to behold the beauty of God, to see his majesty, to see God face to face. This is the destiny that he has purchased for us at the expense of the cross. To know God means to love God. It means to trust him and believe all of his promises. To know God 
is to delight in the ways of God, to be offended when, when, when God's honor is dishonored, to first and foremost with yourself if that happens. But to, but to know God is to, is, to, is to obey God even when it doesn't make sense. And all those things that I just mentioned about knowing God, Jesus, the author of eternal life, model that for us. Not to tell us this is the way you've got to live, but to live that way in us and through us. Paul said, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me in the life that I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The essence of Christianity is Christ in you, living, living through you, inspiring you, motivating you, filling you with the spirit of his Son. I want you to think about this. That the Son of God honored the Father, loved the Father, trusted the Father, and he even obeyed the Father when it didn't make sense. And so God has given to him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow, but also has given him the title of the author of life. This all-knowing Jesus, humble Jesus, he gives to us eternal life. I want you to look at this quote from Tim Keller. He says, by setting aside the exercise of his deity, laid aside his deity, taking on the humble form of humanity, Jesus unbuckled his seatbelt, entered Jerusalem to meet his prophesied end. For God sees the end from the beginning. It's according to the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. By suffering on the cross, he wrapped his arms and his body around you and he refused to let go. By dying on the cross, Jesus offered himself, his body to shield you from eternal death. Eternal death fell on him, which is one of the reasons why his body was so marred and disfigured beyond that of human recognition. For he became a curse for us that we might become blessed. That picture of the cross is not the end. It's the beginning of our story where we come to Christ because God's purpose in the cross wasn't to change our minds. It was to transform our hearts. God bypassed the human mind with light that penetrated the knowledge of, of the love of Jesus Christ, that he did this for you and he, he did this for me. And that is transformational. That doesn't change the way we think. It changes more than the way we think. It changes the way that we live. To know the all-knowing servant of God, humble servant of God, did that for us. This ought to be the consuming hope of our lives, that we will see God, that we will, that, that we will behold his glory. This is, what it, this is what Jesus also prayed in John 17, that they might behold my glory, which was mine before the foundation of the world. This is a passion, I believe, that, that we need to cultivate. Uh, we may not be there yet. You know, I, I, I don't know, on a scale of 1 to 100, you know, maybe some of us fall within a, a 20%, you know, 50%. I, I don't know what the percentage is, but, but I, I, I know the example that the Apostle Paul set for us. 
He said, all those things that I, I thought were gained to me, I count them as mere rubbish for what? To exchange the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. That I might know him was the passion and cry of his heart. May that become the passion and cry of our hearts here today. That we want to know him more. That we want to come to a place of understanding God as he's revealed to us. And the only thing that we could know about God is what he has chosen to reveal about us. And, and that's why the word of God is such a treasure for us. As we search the scriptures, Jesus said, in them they testify of me. You see, when, 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 we, when we give ourselves to meditate, to, to muse over the word of God, to study the word of God, to know what God has said in his word, it is, it is not like learning about another great human being in history. It's not like learning about Washington or, you know, you can have some facts about them, but it doesn't change you. You see, the knowledge of God is transformational. And the more we gaze and look and meditate and fix our hearts and our eyes upon the Son of God, the more we are changed. If I'm not misunderstood, one of the times in the early scriptures where, where the word know is, is, is used, and it says, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and brought forth a son. To know God like this is to, is to conceive that Christ be formed in us and that we're being changed more and more like Jesus. This is transformational. And while we're still in this present reality, while in this time-space vacuum, may we cultivate, may we, may we really dig in to saying to God, you know what, I may not be there now, but would you put that in my heart? Would you, would, you, would you make me even a measure of what this guy Paul was like, where, where he counted the loss of all things as rubbish for the knowledge of God? That, that's my prayer for those of you who are followers of Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad that you're here. And, and I want you to know that it's not because of my persuasive words. It's because of God speaking into your very heart. He can speak life into you today so that you would begin a relationship with Christ, a saving relationship where he not only forgives you of his sin, of all your sins, but you come into a relationship with him where you become an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. You know what? Some people still think that we're idiots for believing this. Well, then let me be a fool because I tell you what, if God were foolish, then the foolishness of God would be wiser than the combined wisdom of all men. If God, if God were foolish and he's not, may we be followers of God and let the world call us whatever they will. But the reason why we've been called is out of darkness into the light to display the praises of the one who's called us. Let's pray. But Father, I thank you today, Lord God, for the amazing gift that you've given to us in Christ. That just as the creation of the universe was spoken into existence, so God, you spoke light into our dark hearts. You made it a miracle. You made it possible for us 
to have our hearts change from enmity toward God and hostility to becoming friends of God, to becoming lovers of God. I pray today, Lord God, for, for, for those of us that are here and followers that that we will become stronger followers in the pursuit of the knowledge of God, that when we search for you with all of our heart, we will find you. Lord, I just pray for anyone that's here right now that is not in a relationship, but God, that you will draw them to yourself. And if that applies to you right now, just in, in a very simple way, just between you and God right now, you make this exchange of faith. It's not magic words. It's it's the heart. God wants to reach your heart. Just say, Jesus, I open my heart. Come into my life. Become the Savior that I, I'm hearing about, who has loved me, who's wrapped his arms around me and would not let me go. I believe that you are that Savior. That God has raised you up from the dead for my knowledge of you, that you might bring me unto God. This, th- this is the essence of eternal life, the cultivation or the consummation of, of this relationship, of being rescued from darkness to light. Thank you, Lord. We are in awe of you for all that you've done. This is truly amazing. Amen.